No my hiding my. Welcome to Lumo Energy Reimagined Podcast, where we explore the big ideas facing the future of energy in Aotearoa. Today's corridor is facilitated by Cheryl Doig, leadership futurist from Think Beyond and a key player in Otatahi's learning ecosystem. Cheryl, I'll hand it over to you to introduce our guests. Thank you so much. It's a, an exciting panel we have here today, and I'd just like to introduce them all. First up, we have Hineponamu Apanui Ba. Hineponamu is a rangatahi researcher at Tokonaterake, the Māori Futures Collective, which is led by Ngaitahu. Hineponamu authored No Mai Te Anamata, a recently re- released report on tomorrow's skills. Spoiler alert, human skills are the currency of the future. Next up, we have Deanna Anderson. Deanna leads the Energy Academy, a team working towards closing the gap between supply and demand for the energy sector. Dee's team has also recently released a report on competency mapping, well, which looked at transferability of skills across industries and called for industry to think differently about how it tackles the skills shortage through radical collaboration and an experimental mindset. Sounds really cool. And uh, third, we have Warwick Quinn. Warwick leads the employer journey and experience at Te Pukenga, New Zealand's Institute of Skills and Technology, which is aiming to reimagine vocational learning. No pressure. <laughs> so I'd like to start by exploring this idea of skills for the future, what's needed and how we might rethink the whole idea of skills shortages. Hina Ponamu, your excellent research explores skills clusters and some of the new opportunities to reframe our thinking. Perhaps you could open the conversation by sharing a little about why we should be thinking differently about we, how we address the skills shortages. Yeah, um, I think it's a really interesting question. And for me, an interesting term, like skills shortages as a term, has always really bugged me. Um, I think it puts a lot of the onus um, to shift and change on employees and job seekers um, and kind of tells, it's a narrative that we tell ourselves that the talent pool we currently have isn't skilled enough, um, which I find, I think, a way to reimagine our approach would be um, where are our training shortages and where are the connection issues between employees and employers and educators Um, I think a skills-based approach and looking at, you know, my belief is that all skills are attainable and learnable. Um, Some people might be more naturally gifted or able than others, but that um, it's about the opportunities that we give um, those that we currently have in our talent pool to, um, you know, gain upwards mobility in the the sectors they're in, the industries they're in, and where where a kind of just transition um, out of a job is needed, where is the support for that? So I think that's the kind of approach, um, which is not only possibly a more active solution instead of you know sitting on our hands wondering where are all our skilled workers, but also um, a more equitable approach to employment is really thinking about um, yeah that that skills are learnable, attainable, and how are we giving people the opportunity to learn and attain them? I love the way that's that's so positive and that the language has has changed because then that changes the way we behave. Yeah. Dee, what's your take on that? I, uh, I really like this idea that you're talking about 
been saying, because what, what we've been saying in the Energy Academy recently is that uh, we think the talent shortage is a farce. We actually think that we're just not honouring people's skills and what they bring. And the currency with which we operate on and which we, which we talk is all about qualifications. And when we're and then when we're trying to like funnel people into getting a qual, we've also put this huge, all these big barriers in front of them as well. And it's these very long journeys. And we have the technology and we have the ability now to actually give a lot more access to the content that's on there. I mean, you know, you have a $10 mobile phone, you can access the world's World Wide Web. Mm. So um, there's two parts to that. So one, I don't think we're recognising the skills that people have. And you're right, Hinepunama, we're kind of putting all this onus on, on these individuals when the big system here has been designed to support them. And yet we've got to the point where we're creating more barriers than opportunities. And the other thing is that there's nothing stopping us at the moment to use the technology to enable people to access smaller parts of training without having to go through this huge rigmarole of being enrolled and having to choose their choose their life path without trialing things along the way. You know, I might, I'm, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And I, you know, <laughs> I'm fine, you know. Um, but yeah, so that I think we've got a we're at a we're at a moment, especially with the changes of Tipuking. I think we're really at a, an amazing moment for the country to take that as the hugest opportunity that we have. We haven't had an opportunity like this for fifty years. And they, that's a great segue, Warwick, into this great opportunity that uh, Tipuking presents. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I agree with uh, what's been spoken. And I think there's two or three things happening all at once that are colliding and really exposed our current system. The way we have trained and access to programs and development has been driven uh, through a desire to have qualifications, as Dee said. And those qualifications tend to be quite large and quite long. And certainly our funding model has pushed us in that direction. But if you look at the workplace in general, it's moving much more quickly than how we've actually taught in tertiary education. It's moving at a pace uh, that uh, that system no longer uh, is appropriate for. Certain elements still are, but we need to be more flexible and more adaptable in how we upskill and train our people. Uh, otherwise, we're never going to use uh, people to the best of their ability. And that's been exacerbated by two things. We often talk about a skill shortage. But really what people are saying is it's a labour shortage. I can't get enough people. Mm. Um, and, of course, that's only going to get worse in New Zealand with our demographics. You know, 15 years ago, our population birth rate peaked. And so every year from now on, until eternity, unless something happens, um, our number of school leavers that we have will be diminishing. So our you know, traditional pool of people that we often fish in is shrinking. And that is colliding with an ageing population where at the same rate people are retiring. So we are going to have fewer and fewer people in order to do our traditional jobs. Therefore, how we retrain and upskill and develop our existing talent pool is going to be critical because, you know, the immigration borders are closed at the moment. All that's done is exacerbate the problem. Uh, but with this inverse relationship between uh, a growing economy and access to people, we have to upskill in a way we've never done before. We have to mm. retrain and make people more productive, create firms that are more productive, not from just hiring more people, but through upskilling and training them. And we can't do that in the way we need to with our current system. Mm. 
The current system can stay for those that want those sorts of qualifications and those large things. We're not saying throw that out. What we're saying is develop a complementary model and a whole new approach that suits a market that currently isn't being serviced. And by the way, I think that market's probably about 70% of all businesses mm. because only about 20% of businesses use the vocational education system to formally train their staff. So what's wrong with the system that the rest aren't? Because they all train staff, otherwise you go broke. Mm. So I think there's an opportunity here to completely rethink how we provide skills into a workplace uh, that provides a balance between the large ones that people need and the ongoing development and training that's needed on a daily basis. That raises some really interesting points uh, about the journey rather than a destination. So it's not uh, no qualifications, it's having some other uh, models that sit alongside and maybe are a playlist for learning or uh, just the ongoing um, ability to to think about new skills that you want to bring to the the equation, and uh, you talked about the intergenerational nature of this this mahi that you've you've got lots of people. Uh, we've got an aging population, but we've also got uh, young people, and so I'm really interested in your take, uh, Hinaponamu, about how we can be smarter about reskilling and upskilling people of different generations. What does that look like, and what are your suggestions? Yeah, I'm. I think it, there's a really positive thing about being um, idea around being a lifelong learner, and I think um, there's a lot of opportunities to not only think of education as something that you know a period in your lifetime that ends when you leave school or ends when you um, receive your university qualification, but actually training and upskilling as as people have already said, um, is a lifelong journey and there should always be opportunities for people to pivot careers if needed, um, to, you know, go go and invest in themselves, be invested in by others to um, gain some upwards mobility in their current kind of occupation. Um, and so I think there's, there's a lot to be done. I think, as Dee said, there's a lot being done, which is really exciting. Um, but I also think there's a lot to be kind of transformed around our own skills awarenesses as well. So it's not only about, you know, um, how can we feed people new skills, but we don't talk to young people enough about what skills they already have. Um, we talk to them about what subjects they do at school and what they want to do at university, but we don't talk to them about their extracurriculars Um and you know what they have in their in their basket of skills that actually make them highly employable. And so I think that was you know we ran some focus groups as part of our research. And one of the biggest things we ran one focus group with rangatahi who were in employment but don't have a, for, a tertiary qualification, um, but have managed to find themselves in a you know well-paying job. And a lot of them said, look, I didn't realise early on how, um, you know, this skill that I had through team sport, this, this skill that I had um, through being the eldest child in my family was actually what gave me a lot of, um, was actually what made me really successful in the workplace. So I think there's, yeah, a lot to be done around understanding our own skills and, and being able to name them, um, being able to understand where there are gaps in our skill portfolios, um, yeah. So that just just to continue that 
that thought, that the idea of skills clusters and how you uh, help people to understand that they've got multiple talents and it's not mm. just about their work. Uh, yeah. how, how do we as, a, as the greater population, whether it be teachers or employers or fellow colleagues, how do we encourage people to understand that they have a breadth of skills to bring to their mahi and to transfer to other places? Yeah, I think there's a huge um, cultural shift that's needed because, you know, we know that young people learn from their families, the elders around them. We also know that young people um, get taught certain things at school and, um, you know, career advisors, teachers, mentors, they are taught by the generation before them. So it's really a generational issue um, and also a cultural one. It's about, it's not going to change in, in three years' time, unfortunately, but I think we can definitely start to implement, you know, um, pockets of really, really amazing work being done around um, young people with micro-credentials in schools, so those that aren't, um, doing full NCA courses, you know, how can they be involved in kind of micro courses? I think that's really important. Um, but overall, the narrative just needs to shift in terms of how we talk to each other and how we talk to ourselves about the future of work and about, um, yeah, the potential that all of us have to go out and find really meaningful employment. Dana, you've been in the Energy Academy doing a lot of thinking mm. in this space as well, so... What's your your thinking? Yeah, whenever we take on a piece of research, we have zero idea of where we're going to land <laughs> because it's all about just trying to unpack things. And we recently, we did a piece of work for the uh, Waihanga Ararau unpacking, um, unpacking two different industries. And, and the hypothesis, I guess, was that we're constantly sending people back to the front of the queue to train. And through this process, we sort of uncovered a few things. We, we looked at a water operator from um, uh, the water industry and a line mechanic from the, line mechan uh, from the energy sector. And what we saw is that there's so many um, transferable skills across them. Um, but the way in which we we use the language and we talk unit standards and things like that. Mm. If someone from this industry wanted to transfer over to that industry, we're constantly sending them back to the front of the queue. But what it sort of uncovered for us as well is that there are there's multiple ways of speaking about those skills. So rather than just speaking about it as, at the unit standard or the qualification, there's all these skills clusters involved in all of these different, along that skills journey, they're learning all these different skills clusters. And it's like also the same, like Hinapunama, you're saying that it's not just in the classroom that we're learning. We're learning from our elders, we're learning from mm -hmm. our children, we're learning from our peers, we're learning from the sports field, right? Um, we're learning from a creative environment that we might go out on the weekend. We're learning. And we're all picking up these different skills clusters. And what it sort of showed us is that it's really limiting if we're just reading this sort of qualification line. We're not taking in that full idea of where that person is. And so this is, for us, it became like an almost, almost an answer to if we had a, a new mechanism to recognise the full person around skills clustering, even meta-tagging against some of the things they know, then actually we've got technology now to rec recognise where they are. So we could ne A, never send them back to the front of the learning queue, which is always just... A, lot, a whole heap of inefficiency, but giving honouring that person's, you know, skills matrix a lot easier. And 
what that would take is to create a new language that we actually start to recognise outside of that qual. We're not really there yet, but I feel like our research sort of uncovered that there could be a new direction in this. Mm. Mm. It's really interesting from the uh, from Te Pukinga uh, point of view in terms of how you might move towards acknowledging a, a wider range of experiences and um, recognition of prior learning and uh, more more flexibility in the process. I know you've been doing some thinking about that, Warwick. What's what's happening in your space? Yeah, often people get pigeonholed by their job description, right? Yeah. I'm an accountant, therefore they're there, that they're the only skills I've got and I've got a history of other roles and experiences that are captured. So if you think of a business, if it, if it had access to all of the skills that a person had, all of a sudden your skill uh, list or the, your your talent is a much is much broader than what your position description says, uh, and so I think that's a way for firms to unleash, you know, their talent within their own businesses um, and, and and whatnot. But yeah, how we recognise those skills and formally recognise them in a way that uh, people are able to see them and understand them, uh, really important, and that's a big change. Um, and how we provide a you know smooth transition from school to education to work or equal work, you know, etc. And that they are completely understood and and, um, and utilised by those employing people, really important. And I've just finished a really it's an old book. Uh, it's called Janesville, which is a, a, you know an American story of a small um, a town. Well, well, it's a city in Wisconsin that got decimated with when General Motors closed its doors during the global financial crisis. It really just ruined the city because you know a huge number of employees uh, were attached to that business. And then other ancillary supply chain businesses closed, and the town went into massive recession. It was right in the Rust Belt, right at the time of Obama, right before you know um, uh, President Trump got on board, promising you know a resurgence. But what the research showed was that it created this um, uh, this really interesting insight, and it said those employees that left. General Motors, because it got laid off, and went straight into another job, even though that job might have been lower paying, were better off than those employees that went and retrained. And they were significantly better off Mm. because the central thinking of the day, like we think today, oh, you're going to go and retrain, therefore train into a two-year program and get qualified to something different Mm. and then start again. But they fall so far behind uh, where they uh, you know originally were, that they're still clawing their way. Mm. Yet those that went off and just did stuff, used the skills that they got, got picked up from wherever they were. They went from you know in the car business to something else. Mm. We're way better off, not as well as they were off with GM because they paid so much better, but better off compared to their other pathway. Now it doesn't talk about what happened and why, but that's a really interesting insight. Mm. It kind of you know rebuted. All refuted all of the traditional thinking about retraining and upskilling is really important, you know, in the in the old traditional sense. So there's a really great example of people just getting on with life, using the skills that they've got, and leveraging off those to go forward. Mm-hmm. Fascinating story. If you get a chance, read it. So could you just just repeat the name of the book again. Oh, it's, it's a bit old. Janesville, J, you know, as in Jane, Janesville by Amy Goldstein. Thank you. Fascinating. I'll be checking that out. 
Yeah. I, I just I, I think that uh, idea of reskilling when you when you when you move or you lose your job or you want to move to a different place, and we know that the pace of technology means some roles, some jobs are disappearing, and mm. so we're constantly moving forward, and it looks different in different industries, but also we have a really diverse workforce in terms of age, in terms of experience, in terms of hanging on to the past or wanting to push too far into the future. Um, Dee, what, Deanna, what's your take on the the way we connect diverse people in our organisations or our industries so that they have the needed skills and are as as uh, ready as possible when they have to leap to a new new place, or because uh, it's it's a, you're in a really diverse industry. What does that look like? I'm not quite sure I understood the question, but I my mind <laughs> definitely goes to something which I feel is quite controversial. But um, I'm going to get I'm going to I'm going to go there go anyway, on. right? Excellent. Um, I think we're. We've got these huge transformations, obviously, in the in the um, education sector. But if you look at our workplaces as well, we are on that cusp. And we talk about future of work, future of work. And mm-hmm. people think, oh, we all know what the future of work is. We we work from home and we've got technology. Yeah. Actually, I don't think we're ready for what is to come. Because when people talk about diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. I often roll my eyes because I feel like, you know, I can only speak as a woman in a workplace and it's in, in this, and it's I still feel like it's 2022 and our modern workplace is not is not really designed to have a whole bunch of women in there. Mm. Um, and let alone other cultures and let alone other other whatever. So we we we're still operating in this workplace that's like almost a hundred years old. And when we talk about are we are are we? I think the question is, how do we make people ready for this workplace? And it's like, no, hang on. How are we going to make the workplace ready for the people? Because yeah. I, I really think this idea, this nine to five, Monday to Friday, it takes no notice of our seasonal changes, our moon cycles, our, our any, anything. I won't go down that track because <laughs> I can go. It's not. This is not a forum for it. But I really think there's a huge, huge space in the world mm-hmm. to recreate the workplace so it's ready for its people because. I think you know, just as Warwick was just saying, you know, we've got our we've got ourselves into this mindset that we need to upskill, we need to upskill, and we're upskilling into this old mm. situation that hasn't really worked for everybody, right? And we we need to sort of crack it open and turn around and go, okay, we're just looking at the the, the way we look at it. We got this talent shortage, but actually, no, we've got this incredible amount of mm. diversity, incredible amount of intelligence, incredible amount of richness and wisdom out there in our community, and they should be the ones to decide how the future of our workplaces are, are designed. Mm. Just kind of flipping it on its head a little, I think. Yeah, I love that. So um, yeah, just picking up on that, recreating the workforce. Hinaponamu, I can see you nodding. Yeah, I really I agree with everything you just said there, Dee. And I'd just like to apologise to anyone that's, well, yeah, anyone that's listening, all the little noises in the back is my son. Um, I'm currently on maternity leave still off um, three months in, but I'm very lucky, I count myself very lucky to work at a workplace that is flexible in terms of... Um, Oh, good boy. <laughs> Bless you. Um, in terms of working arrangements, um, we adopted the hybrid working model, which, you know, 
worked really, really well for us. And I think we're starting to see workplaces adapt in that kind of way. And I think on the other hand, we're also starting to see workers. And I think there's been a lot of discussion around my generation in particular, um, really demanding a lot more from organisations, having higher expectations on you know, allowances for work-life balance and um, for flexibility in our situations. And so I think that's that's a huge thing. And um, part of our research was also, it's not, um, you know, the idea of skills clusters isn't just for climbing some kind of ladder, mm. but it's about having choice. Mm. It's about being able to pivot if that's what you want to do. Um, it's about being able to... Um, you know, crossover into completely different types of employment, different sectors, different industries. Um, it's about choice, and mm-hmm. I think our people want more choice, and um, they and we also deserve it. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's a big kind of discussion going on at the moment about just transitions and what happens when um, you know sectors get displaced because of technology or because of globalisation or or demographic change or whatever, what happens to those workers? How do they transition? And it's all about what choices do they have? Mm. Um, Not just training them to move up the ladder, not just training them to, um, you know, continue on the career journey they've currently been on, but actually how can they, how can they cycle and, and, at 50 years old, decide, no, I want to do something different mm. and actually be able to do that successfully. So, mm. I, yeah, I really, really agree with everything Dee was just saying as well as nodding my head. I love the conversation because we've got multiple generations in the, the room and yeah. it's great to have the, the next <laughs> upcoming generation. I'm sure he's hanging on to every word. Um, so, so, Warwick, from your point of view, we've talked about recreating the workforce and the the sorts of environments that that make it more conducive to uh, flexible mm-hmm. times, being having time off for childcare or working from home, um, different models. There is no one size fits all. So how do we, as the work, as the employers and the people that need to make the change that Dee's talking about, how how do we do that? Yeah, I think we can. Um, we as as a tertiary institution, as Te Pukinga, we can help them by providing a system where their people can access the learning at, at their place at their time and whatever it needs to be. So it's it's not the traditional approach. And I'll give you an example. Um, I looked after the building and construction industry training organisation BCITO for you know six or seven years, and we were really successful. And we worked from eight till five. Now apprentices study at night and on the weekends but we're closed, right? Because they're working during the day. They haven't got time to do, do their theory. So we've got to be 24-7. Uh, and if you think about a, 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 a polytechnic or a university, you know, they have semesters and they break and they have all of this really formal approach. And, and you're really asking people to fit into our way of doing things. You must fit into our way as opposed to we need to provide mm. learning you know, at a place, at a time, and at a space, and in a way that suits you. Otherwise, they won't, you know, they won't take it up. And I'll give you a really good, it was only a, it was only a few months ago, I was actually uh, jumped in a cab to get to the airport, and I was talking, as you do, you talk to the cabbie, I said to the cabbie, oh, so how long have you been doing this? He said, oh, I'm a chef. I'm only doing this, you know, part-time. I said, oh, so you're just augmenting your income. He said, no, 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 I actually want to be a nurse. And I said, okay, talk me through that again. He said, well, I'm a cab driver, uh, I'm actually a chef, and I'm 
getting extra money by driving a cab so I can retrain to be a nurse. And he was in his early 30s, mm-hmm. this guy. And I said, how do you do that? He said, well, I couldn't do it in New Zealand, so I'm doing it remotely through Australia. And I said, but you can't get your practical. He said, no, 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 exactly. I can't get my practical, but I can get a lot further down the path in my theory. Because mm. I can't afford to stop work and go and retrain as a nurse mm. in a polytechnic. So he was trying to retrain himself into a new career while he was working. Mm. And, of course, our system couldn't accommodate that. So there's a really good example of how do you actually provide that person with access to that learning and the skills that they need while are still running their lives, whatever it might be. Mm. And it's over to us to fit in around them, mm. as Dee said, not them fit with us. And it's a bit like if you, if you think about the old days, imagine if there was no Netflix, you know, there was no Amazon, there was mm-hmm. none of those things, and you still had to go to the cinema at 2 o'clock on a Saturday to see your movie. <laughs> you know, the world, the world has changed. The expectations you know, from the consumer perspective, are so much greater. And if education doesn't change along with those other, you know, businesses that do that, then we're going to be a dinosaur. Uh, And we need to do that, otherwise we will lose people. Mm. Yeah, great, uh, great comment. And and you'll know if you've worked with me that access and equity are very dear to my heart. And often when we're talking about this, we're talking about young people, which we'll, we'll get on to shortly, but it's all ages mm-hmm. and the, the learning and the flow and learning in ways that work for us uh, rather than the institution are critical. But it's a, it's a huge issue when we've got people that don't have equitable access mm-hmm. uh, to the sort of training that they mm-hmm. want, they can't afford it, or they don't have the digital yeah. access in in that space. And I always think that if you don't know something exists, you can't aspire to it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Hannah Ponemu, what's, what's your thinking about how we might bridge that equity gap and keep supporting people of all ages? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really key point is around that um, idea of digital inclusion, you know, especially for a lot of Māori and Pacifica um, whānau, they, a lot of the solutions to access issues are being posed as kind of let's, um, let's run it all digitally, let's um, run it you know, online, and yet that is actually in some cases harder um, mm. for some whānau that don't have the privilege of multiple devices or a Wi-Fi connection at home. Um, and that's where it is really, really important for skills, um, schools and institutions to kind of step in and support with that with that gap. Um, I also think I agree with the, the idea there's lots of amazing little micro programs around the place. Um, and I think you're right, people don't know what they don't know. And so it's... Um, Absolutely, these these little micro programs and um, small courses that are running are really amazing. But it's about making sure that they're known to mm. not just Angatahi but to all people, um, which is really hard because it's about um, you know shifting that whole kind of cultural norm around it, making sure that um, yeah all generations understand the opportunities that are out there. And I think that's where. Um, and I'm not just saying this because Warwick's in, in, the, in the room, but I think the idea of tepukinga and bringing together all those, I think that just needs to happen in general across, um, 
you know, across employment as well as how can we bring together lots of different kaupapa that are ultimately working towards the same goal but are really disjointed. Some people know about them, some people don't. How can we bring them under one big umbrella um, and really kind of standardise service across um, across Aotearoa and across across different age groups. I think that's a that's a huge thing. So that our people know the the opportunities that are out there for them. Dee, do you think people do know some of the opportunities or there are particular groups that are, are missing out and what, what can we do about it? I think no no, people don't know what opportunities are there in front of them. Even when they're inside an organisation on these huge training paths that they've been, they're waiting to be told what, what next because they don't have visibility of, of all these multiple opportunities. And, you know, Warwick just said, I oh, imagine having to go to the cinema at 2pm on Saturday. But like one of my things I talk about, because I used to work in the music industry, was that we, you know, we used to walk down to the record store and buy an album and take it home and and that was the we had to get back home again before you could actually yeah. listen to it. And now Spotify's taken over the world, and you just you you, you log on, mm. and you can create your own playlist from multiple albums out there. Now that technology has been around for twenty years, right? But this is how I see a qualification as well. So qualification is made up of all of these different components, all these different modules. And we have, we've got, we've been brainwashed thinking that the only way to to have some sense of achievement is to go through the whole entire um, pathway, which by by the way might have been designed five ten years ago. <laughs> but we can we talk about micro credentials saving the world, but in fact every single qual is already made mm-hmm. up of multiple micro credentials, and they're perfectly designed for the funding model to kick in actually at five fifteen credits. So if you look at that Spotify mod- model where you can sort of go on and you can just go, okay, I'm going to have that from that album. They're going to play it. That's my favourite song. You, you create your own playlist for your, maybe it's your road trip or a birthday or whatever. Like why couldn't we create our own learning playlists from any academic all around New Zealand, from either a university or ITP or even a PTE? And it's, it's suiting me where I'm at at this moment in time the delivery is, is another side of it. That's another um, access side. But I guess what I'm talking about more is agency. Mm-hmm. So what about my own personal individual agency where I can actually choose my own path? And it might take me it might, might take me half the amount of time. It might take me three times the amount of time to get that call. But that's not really the, the aim there. It's just that I, I can actually have access to really good high-quality content and information and hopefully mentors and then just create my own path. Like we haven't actually got the, like I think we've got the technology and we've got um, a lot of things available, but we would need a big shift in mindset as well. And we've got these old frameworks which are kind of creating the rules for us at the moment. I think we need to smash them down a little bit. So I'm in, in a place of privilege that I already have my learning playlist I've got lots of, of things and I've got good digital capability and uh, so life is easy for me to do that mm. but it's not so easy for um, other people. Uh, what, what would the learning playlist look like when you're presenting it to an employer because it seems to me that that's often a barrier where they just say well I don't understand what you're bringing to me so and I've got nothing to compare it with. What what would you say or how would you work with employers in that space? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I don't think we've really, because a lot of the solutions that we're talking about really are, involve deep tech. 
and really do, do involve a lot of digital literacy and all of this. So we, we, we're kind of not really there yet. But I do think we need to have some kind of hybrid model where it's it's easy to understand, it's easy to recognise and easy to access. But, I, yeah, I, Cheryl, you'd probably be better off answering that question yourself, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think this is a frustration in terms of when you're talking about uh, playlists or stackable credentials, the journey of, of learning and how important that is. Uh, often uh, people say it's the employers that uh, just don't understand where we're moving mm. towards. And so that supporting them to understand or to bridge that gap over time. What, what's your take on, on how we might do that? Yeah, and, and look, all the research around the world that's been done over decades says a qualification is a good thing. It's good for the, it's good for industry and it's good for the individual. It allows transparency of what skills you hold. It provides consistency, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we, we're not saying uh, throw out qualifications. What we're saying is, view qualifications differently. Now, at the moment, I've got a couple of thoughts. At the moment, we, we build a large qualification um, and actually, uh, when you try and unbundle it, it's not put together in a way that allows that unbundling easily. So I think the first thing we need to do is think about how we would build the qualification from the ground up mm. in bytes that are recognised by industry because they know the skills that those bytes um attribute to in their business and then you can stack those if you want to go further down that pathway so each of those bytes or each of those nano credentials whatever we call it from an education perspective mm. employees don't care they just want skills that are recognized as long as your industry recognizes that skill set they'll be fine because mm. they know what it means and if we continually or if we think about just unbundling content and just making it random it'll collapse because you'll have that problem they won't be able to associate the skills that they want with what you've got. So it needs to be aligned uh, with industry. Uh, and we can do that. Um, and so there's two, there's, there's two kind of approaches. There's the formal approaches that an industry needs because you're regulated, for example. You have to have you know, a certain bunch of skills in order to be a registered electrician or a nurse or whatever. Otherwise, you can't do that. So they have to remain. And then there's the personal duty that you have at work and your employer says, I want you to have A, B, C, and D. And so you do that in order to you know, continue your career. And other employers in a similar um, business understand that. And then there's the third, which is your own personal journey that you want to have just because you're interested or because you do different things in your, in, you know, outside of your work environment that you are wanting to pick up knowledge on. So if we can accommodate all of those but have them in bikes that are standalone and valuable, then we're a long way down the track. I'm really interested in those those different models and how they are intentionally designed rather than haphazard so that they don't collapse. I know in some places like in, in Brighton in the UK, they've had a city of learning approach where they've deliberately tried to pull the bits together with employers and with learners uh, to create something that's, that's meaningful and that will stand the, the test of time, but is pushing in some new directions. I, th I think there's a real potential in those sorts of, of models. And I guess um, we're, we're in times that are incredibly complex. And for our young people coming out of the schooling system or even not going to school, we have some, some issues that 
we need to address. Mm. And, and I'm really interested in how we can support our young people to thrive in the workplace. Mm. If they even get to the workplace, mm. it's it's. Um, it's more difficult now with, with COVID, but also the complexities of life. Hinaponamu, what's your your take on how we might support our youth mm. to thrive in the future? Because they are critical yeah. in the conversation. Yeah. Um, I guess for, I'll start with me personally. I am a university dropout. So I got about three years through a law degree. I, um, I enjoyed studying, but it also... Um, I made the mistake of doing summer internships and I realised really quickly I preferred working (laughs) way too much over studying. Um, And so I left university and I started working for my iwi. Um, And what I found, I think, in that kind of journey is, um, firstly, I was very privileged to be able to go to university and to be able to make the choice that you know I'd prefer to work and then go and find employment that suited me, that I enjoyed, um, that I felt fulfilled in. Like, that's an absolute privilege mm. um, that I came to realise through our research um, is a privilege not everyone is afforded. Um, I also realised that, as, as Warwick's mentioned, um, five years of study is... Um, I really, I find it really crazy that we expect people to give up five years of their life at mm. a time, three to five years of their life at a time, um, spend at least $30,000 just on tuition fees alone mm. um, to get a qualification and then at the end of that still have to make the same decisions around, you know, where do I go, how do I mm. sell myself to these employers or how do I... Um, yeah, how, how do I articulate the skills that I've just learned in this five-year period? And so that's been my personal journey, um, and I've become a huge um, a huge believer in, I guess, um, yeah, like I've talked about, understanding all of the skills in your portfolio, um, understanding not just those qualified skills that have been ticked off by other institutions but also recognizing the skills that you know you have um, and learning a way to be able to communicate how you have those skills um, and and capabilities and I think that's been the same with you know the dangatahi that we've spoken to in terms of our research Um, a lot of them talked about so I, I guess there were a few main themes when we talked to Rangatahi in terms of that report. One of them was the importance of networking and how that can be a really good thing or a bad thing. Um, that, you know, if you have some good connections that you can be put in really in, in places that you usually wouldn't be able to. Um, and on the other hand, um, yeah, if you don't know anyone, then... Mm. then how do you get connected to opportunities? How do you get connected to, um, you know, education and employment opportunities? So that was one really key theme. Another was around confidence and self-esteem, I think especially for those that didn't um, go down the path of going to university straight after school. It was that feeling of I'm not as good as, um, you know, as my mates at, at high school that went through to university and, I think there's a there's a level of streaming that happens at the end of secondary school. We we talk about streaming in schools, 
So, you know, um, A class, B class, C class. Mm. Um, but there's even a level of streaming that happens when you get to the end where there's that real pivotal kind of, um, you know, time in your life where you choose where you go to next. And I think a lot of, and I'll be very honest, a lot of Māori and Pacifica students that we talked to felt like they were heavily pressured into kind of trades mm. um, and not just trades in terms of, you know, labouring, but also kind of um, nurses training, teachers training, um, which are amazing careers if that's if that's your choice. But a lot of them felt really pressured to go down that route. Mm. Um, and we're told, oh, you know, maybe don't worry about university. You, you don't have the credits or um, might not suit you. And so that's that. That was a key theme, I think, also for those that did get that did go down the university route and gain qualifications. It was, um, you know, unless you go to university with a real specific idea of of what you want to do with that degree at the end of of your three or four, five years at university, um, it's not actually any clearer about where you want to go in terms of your career. Um, so I think in general, yeah, we, we've already talked about, I guess, the importance of shifting the, the way we speak to young people um, about the kind of work that they want to do. I think our, our report references, you know, the, the shift from um, a career for life to um, jobs for purpose. So it's not about um, you pick your career path when you're when you're 16 years old and you make all your life decisions around that choice. But um, you think about what you need at the time, what what gives you purpose, um, and you have you have the confidence in yourself, and people have the confidence in you to be able to pivot. Thanks so much. Well, we've been talking about humans and the skills for the future, and uh, I've picked up lots of, of points about uh, the importance of language and the positivity and the uh, our role in deciding that, mm-hmm. whose choice it is. So just as we start to wrap up, it would be great to hear from each of, of you just the one key idea you'd like to mention that hasn't been mentioned or to pick up on the key points from the session that just uh, resounded to you. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to start with you, Diana. Um, uh, well, it's really summary. just picking up what Hina Punan was saying there about being absolute privilege to be able to go to you know go to university and I think uh, when I first went to university it was the very first year in Australia where they actually started to charge and so we'd come from you know 100 years of being able to just go into university if you wanted to okay and now 30 years later we've we've got a huge culture where there's so much pressure university means a certain thing uh, graduating means a certain thing and I don't think I ever had a conversation in my uni days about the job I was going to get after uni I never <laughs> did but now it's all about that return on investment and these kids are like really really young 19 years old and feeling that they need to get a return on their investment and I think the culture we need to go back and the culture really really needs to shift around what are we doing as a nation for our young people and how will we shift that culture back to where it's it's more like a right rather than a privilege you know Mm. yeah yeah I think that comes back to my my equity uh, desire Warwick what's your your final take on things yeah, I think the traditional pathway of education and into works are under pressure or changing. It, it no longer meets 
how the world operates. In other words, you know, primary school, you know, intermediate school, secondary school, tertiary, and then work. Mm. And after four years of study at a tertiary institution, you're invited to a job interview. That's about as much as it mm. guarantees you. And I think there needs to be a much greater integration between work and study, uh, like there is in those countries that we admire around tertiary, um, and particularly vocational, like Israel and Germany and Switzerland, uh, whereby you actually leave school, you, you, your, your, your pathway into vocational learning's um, clear, uh, you can go to work and you study and you earn and you do those things at the time and the pace straight away. You don't spend three years, four years out of line hoping you've got a qualification that then gets you a job interview, and then you find later you want to do it anyway. Yeah. Um, so I think we, we have to get really close. The system's got to be connected and joined up because what we don't want to have is the tertiary sector competing with the employer sector for people mm. because all we're doing is creating competition again between yeah. different modes of of uh, operating mm. and we don't want that we've already had it between 16 polytechs and 11 itos <laughs> and 400 pte's yeah you don't want to recreate it in another vein so, that, so i think that closer connection is really key yeah, yeah i think that integration is is a a really important thing we've got a bit to work on uh, just uh, to keep us going in the near future. I'm going to, to hand over to uh, Henaponamu uh, as a as a parent of a three-month-year-old. Uh, and um, Still sounds weird. Oh, uh, that's right. <laughs> now, what's your, your final word on humans and the skills for the future? Um, yeah, look, I'd just like to total everything that has been said already. Um, I think we're... We've talked about, you know, how how the current system isn't set up and how it's too rigid. And I think um, what I haven't properly articulated yet is the need to be agile and adaptable in the future. Um, For us as individuals, um, you know, cycling through our lives, it's important that we think about um, how we we can be quick to change, um, quick to adapt new ways of learning, new ways of working, um, how we, we can quickly pivot um, into different types of work, but I think it's also around how can the system be set up in a way that it can be changed like that if it needs to, mm. um, that we don't have to go through all the rigmarole of, you know, setting up a new system takes how however many years. Um, I think there's a real... We know that there's, you know, definitely change in the future, but we actually have no idea what that change is. Um, we, we know that technology, climate change, um, globalisation are going to hugely affect the way we work, but we don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing and how so. Um, and so we, when we're talking about the future, um, there's also that element of we have no idea what it's going to look like and and for me um, the key thing is that we stay really highly agile and and able to adapt to whatever um, yeah whatever whatever does pop up thanks uh, it's been a fascinating conversation to our panelists Hinaponamu, Diana and Warwick thanks very much it might be my pleasure to uh, help facilitate the conversation and we've got a bit of work to do yeah. uh, and let's let's go and do it awesome. Kia ora. thank you very much thank you to our partners Orion Genesis Energy Araake Eka Christchurch New Zealand Ministry of Social Development and Ara Institute of Canterbury <laughs>